Thank you, Josh. Hey, take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13. I have a, uh, I have a question. It's a very important question. It's a um, life or death question. It's the kind of question that you have to answer right, okay? How many of you enjoy Disney movies? All right, so we got some hands going up, yeah, here and there. Uh, how many of you, whenever Disney Plus came out several months ago, you were one of the first ones, I see a, a big head nod over here, yeah, you were the, one for, one of the first ones to sign up for Disney Plus, yeah, a couple of those. Our family was one of those that, uh, that signed up for it with four young boys, it's come in handy. But if you're not familiar with Disney Plus, it's, it's an online streaming service where you can, uh, you can play Disney movies, old ones, new ones, bad ones, good ones, it doesn't matter, you can play them. And uh, it, it's fantastic. It's, it's great for, uh, for the kids to be able to sit down and watch. It's great for the kids' parents to sit down and watch. But along those lines, I have, a, I have another question that's very important, and it's this one. What is your favorite Disney movie? So think about that for a second. What's your favorite Disney movie? I mean, when, when you had to pick just one movie, this is the one you say, this is my favorite Disney movie. And I, I want to tell you, when I was growing up and even still today, my favorite Disney movie is the movie Robin Hood. Now, is anybody else in here, this is your favorite movie, favorite Disney movie? Anybody? Anybody? Y'all listen, I can't tell you how hurt I am right now. In the first service, we had, we had almost 200 people in here, maybe not quite that many, 175 people in here, and there was nobody else who had Robin Hood as their favorite Disney movie. And I felt sure that the second service would give me at least somebody who had Robin Hood as their favorite Disney movie. I can't tell you how hurt I am right now. It's okay, though. It's all right. But how many of you have seen the movie before? Okay, so that's a little bit better. And you still, it's not your favorite movie? I don't understand. It's top 20. Oh, my goodness. Top 20. But listen, if, you, if you've seen this movie before, you can just imagine how it opens. you got the opening with the, with the rooster, the voice of Roger Miller, one of the greatest voices of all time. He, and he said something to the effect of, we here in the animal kingdom have our own version of the story of Robin Hood. And it goes something like this. And then he starts whistling. Yeah, it's going to be in your head from now on today, isn't it? That's what you get for it not being your favorite movie. You've got to be stuck with that song from now on. But anyway, um, in that story of Robin Hood, you've got the mean old Prince John who it, he pulls taxes from the poor just to feed himself and to take care of himself and to gather his riches together, okay, at the expense of everybody else. But then you've got Robin Hood who steals from the rich to feed the poor, it's a story of ups and downs. It's a story of, of love. There's heartache. There's fight scenes. There's awesome scenes with little John, who's not really that little. He's a great big bear. But no matter how low or how high the movie gets all throughout, and sometimes it honestly seems like, where's the hope in this? What in the world's going to happen? This town of Nottingham is going under completely. By the end of the movie, you got Robin Hood and Maid Marian. And they ride off into the sunset in their buggy after being married, and they, they are gone, and the rest of it is happily ever after, right? You got happily ever after for the rest of the movie. Now, if you, you all have a Disney movie that, that you thought about, I hope that you got this in your head. I can almost guarantee you that that Disney movie finishes with a happily ever after. Okay? Somebody after the, after the first service came up to me and they said, there's another, there's another type of movie that always ends with happily ever after. I said, really? They said, yeah, Hallmark movies. They know how much I hate Hallmark movies, and so they just wanted to bring that out there. 
But anyway, happily ever after. It's, it's where the end of the story comes and you just leave on this high note. It doesn't matter what happened in that story, how bad it got at some points. You know without a doubt everything's good. Doesn't matter how low the journey was in the middle of it. It's a good, good ending. Now, we are um, today finishing up the story of Nehemiah. We're at the end of the book of Nehemiah. It's a story that's captivated our attentions. We, we, we've seen adversity. Uh, we, we've seen God work in really, really big ways. We've seen the way that the people have kind of gone up and down in their relationship with God and their morale and all of that stuff. And it's a story that's captivated us. We've been in this story for 19 weeks now. And as we now end the, the book of Nehemiah, I'm pretty sure that there's a part of us that wants this story to end with a happily ever after. Right? We, we've entwined ourselves in this story. So, oh man, I hope that it ends with a happily ever after. I know that I want that to take place. But as we're going to find in just a few moments, it's not a happily ever after scenario. We're going to read through Nehemiah chapter 13. We're going to read the whole thing. I'm going to ask Pastor Rick to come up and read that chapter for us before we dive into it. Okay, so take your Bibles, your phones, whatever you have, and read along with Nehemiah chapter 13. In Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 1 says, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God, the grain offering, and the frankincense. I also found out that portions of the Levites, or the portions of the Levites, had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, Padiah of the Levites, and their assistant Hanan the son of Zakur, son of Mataniah. For they were, considerable, or they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. In those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food 
Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you're doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not your, our God bring all this disaster on us and on the city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors be shut and gave orders that they should not be open until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I command the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. In those days, I also saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made, I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made him made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. Hey, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we ask that in this time uh, that you show us what your word means, but then also, Father, how we are to apply it to our lives. We know that your word is life, that it is the very word of, of God. And Father, we know that, um, that in it we find life. So Father, would you sharpen us this morning, draw us close to you through the study and through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, well, as we, as we work through this chapter, um, I'll be honest with you, I, 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 it's not exactly a happy, happily ever after story, is it? Can I end this on a, on a down note? Now, I can see chapter 12 being the happily ever after, right? That's the, that's the chapter we were in last week where we talked about this great day where the people are celebrating what God has done and they're excited, they're singing back and forth from one end of the city to the other. Uh, and in fact, the, the Bible says that there was great joy that was heard outside the city because of the joy that was inside the city. So I could see that being a happily ever after, but this is a little bit different. So what I want for us to do this morning is um, to go to Nehemiah chapter 13 and really seek to understand, okay, well, how can we grow and how can we learn as believers as a result of what we find in Nehemiah 13? Now, let me give you a little context here. Nehemiah 13 takes place 
many years after Nehemiah chapter 12. So there's like this big gap between the two. So where we were last week was at least 12 years before where we are at this week. During that time, Nehemiah has finished up his first term as governor. He's gone back to the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. He's visited him, and now Nehemiah has come back to Jerusalem. And uh, we understand, because of history, tells us that he is about to serve his second term as governor in Jerusalem. All right, so in this quest for happily ever after, what can we do? What, how can we learn from Nehemiah chapter 13? All right, here's the first point I want to give you. And that is never forget all that God has done. Never forget all that God has done. And I want to encourage you to write these things down. Maybe pull out your phone and, and take notes in your phone, okay? But listen, we've got to have regular times of remembering God's faithfulness in the past and thinking about the ways that he has blessed and the ways that he has proven himself, the ways that he showed up and showed off in the past. If you just think about the Jews right here in Jerusalem for a moment, here's part of what God has done. Here's just a small snapshot of what God has done. They were sorrowful because of the, the state of the walls of Jerusalem. But God met them where they were sorrowful, and he did something about it. He, he, he called these people to go and rebuild the walls. Uh, he, he specifically called a man to follow him and to serve him to lead the people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah is that man. He provided the resources for them to complete the work. The king of Persia paid for all of it. He sent letters for the, the materials to be given to Nehemiah and these people. All Nehemiah had to do was provide the manpower, and he gathered people together to build those walls. Uh, time after time, when the people were surrounded by animosity and even by other people who wanted to kill them, God protected them. God took care of them. Uh, he allowed them to complete this massive job of rebuilding the walls in only 52 days. Now, that's a huge undertaking, and they got it done in just 52 days. Uh, God restored the glory of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, he, he restored order. He used Nehemiah to call out the oppression that was taking place against the poor. He chose to use people from all walks of life and socioeconomic backgrounds for this work. That means that the people who were typically last to be picked for the ball team were first on God's list. God says everybody matters in my plan and, and what I want to do. God led the people in a great day of celebration over what had just been accomplished. We talked about that last week. Now listen, those are just a few of the things that God does in this book that the people should be able to look at and say, look at how great God is. Look at his faithfulness. Look at the ways that he's shown up over and over again. But they don't do that. They forget God's faithfulness. They forgot what God had done. Listen, the Bible's got many passages about, about remembering the faithfulness of God. In fact, here's just, just one example. All right, I go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and this is a warning about what's going to happen if you forget God, if you forget God's commandments. We read there, Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and made, make a carved image, the form of anything that, you're, that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. In other words, what, what the author of, of, of Deuteronomy there is saying what he, is, is that is, he's saying, remember God. Remember the promises of God. Remember the commandments of God. Don't forget God. And if you continue reading, uh, by the way, in that verse that you have on the screen right there, go back one if you will. On that verse you have on the screen, you see the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a, a jealous God. The reality is that's who God is when we go against his commandments. 
But you go on down in Deuteronomy chapter 4 to this next verse where we find this. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. So yes, he's just. Yes, he is a righteous God. But he's also merciful. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So get this. Understand this. Even in the middle of people's sin, even in the middle of people's sin, God still offers mercy to them. He's about to do that with these folks here in Nehemiah chapter 13. So first, never forget all that God has done. When we remember everything that God has done, it will help keep us on track. But then secondly, watch out for compromise. If we're really looking for a happily ever after, right, we want to stay in God's will, watch out for compromise. One of the the marks of this turning away of the people is the simple fact that they compromised on what they knew to be right, what God had told them to be right. And I can imagine that compromise starting really, really small before it gets to the point of large-scale sin, because that's what it turned into, large-scale sin. A little bit of inconsistency, a little bit of a, you know what, I can, I can do this and it really won't affect my life as a whole. That little bit of inconsistency turns into a much greater level of sin. William uh, Booth, General William Booth, who's the founder of the Salvation Army, had a, a group of new officers in, with him and he was training them and, and he, he said this. He said, I want you young men always to bear in mind that it is in the nature of a fire to go out. You must keep it stirred and fed and the ashes removed. Now, we have all, at some point in our life, we've, we've messed with fire, okay? Uh, we, we've stirred it, we, we've tended it, and we know without a doubt that a fire is going to go out at some point. And it might go out in minutes, it may go out in hours, it may go out in days, but it's going to go out at some point if it's not fed, if it's not taken care of. There's no way that we can lose our relationship with God where that fire can go out. But listen, it is absolutely possible for when compromise starts to come into our lives, for our relationship with God to become stale and cold if we don't tend it. And you know, when we, when we compromise, then we're not tending that fire, we're letting it go. I've heard it said that you're either moving toward God or you're moving away from God. You're never staying still in your relationship with him. I fully believe that. You're either pursuing God or you're pursuing yourself. There is no in-between. And to try to think that you can ride a fence with God is crazy. It's absolutely insane because it cannot happen. Now, there's compromise that the Jews have, have, have here in, in Jerusalem has really taken place in four ways, okay? If you read Nehemiah chapter 13, I've broken it down into four really main compromises. All right, the first one is this. There's a relational settling. There's a relational settling. Now, when Nehemiah is away, gone to visit the king, Eliashab, the high priest, um, allows a man by the name of Tobiah to move into one of the rooms in the temple. Now, how many of you remember Tobiah? Yeah, Tobiah is this guy. He's one of the bad guys in the book of Nehemiah. He and Sanballat, when the walls are being built, they do everything they can to make sure that those walls are not actually built. They are the ones who actually threaten to kill Jews if they continue to rebuild the walls. So now Nehemiah goes away to the king of Persia, and Eliashab, the high priest, says, hey man, you're a family member of mine, which is a problem in the first place. You're a family member of mine. Hey, won't you come live in the city of Jerusalem? 
Okay, but not only that, not only am I going to let you come live inside the walls that you tried so desperately to keep from being built, I'm going to let you live inside the temple of God. So he clears out one of the rooms in the temple and lets Tobiah live in the temple. Y'all, listen, that's like putting a fox in the hen house and saying, hey, you can stay there. No problem at all. That's a problem. It's a compromise. So the first compromise is that the Jews are settling for having a relationship that they got no business having. But then secondly, there's financial complacency. There's financial complacency. And here's here's what's supposed to happen, okay? And here's the promise that the people made to God. They said, we will give of our finances. We will give of our resources to make sure that the temple is cared for and that the people who serve in the temple are cared for. But then they start falling away from that. Even to the point of where those people who served in the temple aren't able to provide for themselves anymore, so they go outside the city to work the fields to care for their families. There's financial complacency. Listen, oftentimes when compromise starts to come into our lives, the first sign of it is in the area of our finances. You know what? I can, I can give to this instead of to God. Or, or I can buy this for myself instead of reaching out where God is calling me to meet a need that somebody may have. Red flags should start to go off. Financial complacency, compromise. The third compromise that we see taking place is secularized Sabbath. A secularized Sabbath. The people had promised to keep the Sabbath day holy, set apart for God, a day of rest, a day of worshiping God alone, a day where they're not intermingling with people who might would, might would bring in um, pagan ideologies to them. But they start to fall away from that, and pretty soon the Sabbath becomes no different day than the other days of the week. Uh, they're, they're buying and selling. They're not worshiping God that day. Um, they, they may go to the temple for a little while or something like that, but, but they're not truly worshiping God. They're not keeping the Sabbath day holy. It's supposed to be a day that's set aside for, for God, but they're compromising. And then here's the fourth compromise that we see take place, and that is marital defilement. Marital defilement. Now, at the beginning of the chapter, we read that the Jews had been intermarried with pagan nations. All right, that's something that is strictly forbidden by God. Now, it is not in any way that God hates those nations or the people of those nations. But what God does know is that when the Jews marry people from those pagan nations, that it's going to pull their attention away. It's going to pull their worship away from God to where now they're worshiping other idols. We see this take place. In Nehemiah chapter 13, there Solomon is mentioned. Solomon is one of those prime examples of marrying people from other nations, and he starts to bring in pagan worship into Israel, into Jerusalem. And that's what the people had promised they would not do. But yet they start to compromise by marrying people who are not believers, are not followers of God, servants of God. No, they worship other gods. So four areas of of compromise— This is sin that that Nehemiah, when he gets back to Jerusalem, he finds the people in. Paul David Tripp once said this. He said, sin doesn't always look sinful to us. Sometimes it looks beautiful. That's why we need grace to see sin for what it really is. It's dark, dangerous, enslaving, and destructive. You know what? That sin looks really, really nice. That sin looks like, you know what, I can, I can pay, partake of this a little bit. And it looks beautiful to us. 
But in reality, it's not. It is, it is, it is enslaving to us. It is ultimately destructive to us. It was to these people. Now, here's a very personal question that I want to ask you and that, that you alone know the answer to, but I want you to dwell on for just a moment, okay? Do you have some sins, favorite ones, that you've allowed to return home? Do you have some sins, some, some favorite sins? You know what? In the past, it's been a part of your life, and then maybe there was a time where you got rid of that and you got, you got it out of your life, but all of a sudden, it started to creep its way back into your home, the home of your life. And it could be that it's not just creeping in. It could be that you've invited it back in. I had a youth pastor one time that used to say, um, you know, sometimes people say, I fell into sin. No, man, you jump both feet in, with both feet into that sin. Sometimes that's the way it works. Sin will suck the spiritual life out of you. And it will leave you spiritually drained. But just like Nehemiah, no sin can remain in the temple if you grab it by the hair and throw it out. We're about to see this take place, okay? But no sin can remain in the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's your body. If you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, then your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But no sin can remain in the temple of the Holy Spirit if you grab it by the hair and get rid of it. So the question is, who is that enemy guest that you've allowed in the temple of the Holy Spirit? What is that sin that you've allowed in? You're thinking, you know what, no big deal. I can continue in this. It's quiet. Nobody knows about it. Oh, but there is, there is somebody that knows about it. There's you and God. And what radical action are you going to take to regain control and to cleanse your temple? Because it's got to be cleaned. It's got to happen. Those areas of sin have got to go. Because the reality is that God will discipline us for our sin. He will discipline us for our sin. That's the next thing we find here. Multiple times all throughout Scripture, we see the idea of God disciplining us for our sin. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, which by the way is written by Solomon, but he's saying this, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves, he disciplines him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. You continue on with this thought process. You got Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. And maybe you recognize this passage, but you can read it on the screen as I read. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Listen, God's discipline is a good thing. And it's tough sometimes. It hurts sometimes. But God's discipline is good. And when God uses Nehemiah to discipline these people in Jerusalem, get this, he's not doing it because he hates these people. No, he's doing it because he loves them. Nehemiah comes back from his time there in, in Persia to find the people in sin. They've compromised what they know to be right. And he uses, God uses Nehemiah to discipline these people. Very specifically, in verse 8, 
Nehemiah takes all of Tobiah's furniture out of the room that he'd been staying in inside the temple, and he throws it out. I, I, years ago, was working for um, the student housing office at, at Liberty University, and um, and one summer there was uh, a, a squatter. There's no other way to say it. He was a squatter. It was a student who stayed in his room way past when he should have. Um, in fact, he'd been told to get out many times. I had gone to his door almost every single day, beat on the door, man, you got to go, you got to go, we got to use this room for other stuff. And I had t- uh, the campus police officer with me many times when I went. And so finally, and I'm talking like several weeks into this, I go to this guy's door and I beat on the door and say, man, you got to go. And he opens his door and he actually invites me in and he says, hey, do you see all this stuff? How am I going to get all this stuff out? I can't move out of here. I won't have a car for a couple more weeks. So there's no way I can do this and this. Now listen, we'd already shown grace many times, okay? He hadn't been paying for this room that he had been in for weeks. And so finally I said, you know what, man? If you don't get out today, I'm going to take your stuff and we'll throw it out that window. He said, you won't do that. I walked over to the window, pulled it open, grabbed a bag and chunked it out. He said, you won't do that anymore. I said, yes, I will. I grabbed another bag and chunked it out of, of the room. Now we're three stories up. Okay. So then I moved towards the TV and he says, wait, 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 I'll get out. I'll get out. Okay, now I use that as an, as, as an idea of, of kind of what we're talking about here. The sin has got to go. The squatting sin in our lives has got to go. In this case with Nehemiah chapter 13, it is, it is Tobiah, a man who never should have been there in the first place, who's got to go. So Nehemiah does what's necessary to get rid of it. You continue on, you see this discipline. Verse 11, Nehemiah takes the people who were supposed to be stationed in different places throughout the temple. They're not there now because the finances are not there to take care of them. We read that he put them in their stations and he, in essence, said, I'm going to make sure that you are taken care of. Verse 17, Nehemiah has a confrontation with the leaders. It's a strong confrontation. Verse 24, he's dealing with the men who had married pagan wives And we read that Nehemiah confronts them. He cursed them. He beat some of them. He pulled out their hair. And that's one of those cases where we don't follow everything that's in the Bible, okay? So don't go to somebody and say, I'm going to pull out your hair and I'm going to beat you and curse you, all right? But listen, the principle here, the idea is the sin has got to go. It's got to be dealt with. And you can imagine what this scene would have been like. Nehemiah is filled with this righteous anger, and rightfully so. This, this ugly reality of sin is permeating Jerusalem. It's got to go. You know, folks, God will discipline us for our sin because he is a just and righteous God. He will not stand for it. But never, ever forget that God disciplines us as his sons and daughters whom he loves And that, yes, in the moment it hurts, but he's disciplining us for our good. And because he can't stand the sin that is in our lives, because God is a holy God. Let's look at how this this book ends up. Verse 30 Thus I cleanse them from everything foreign, and I establish the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God. For good. And this is how Nehemiah ends this narrative of what God has done in Jerusalem. A lot of hard work, a nasty situation, but with integrity and by genuinely seeking to do what God has called him to do. Now, this week I was thinking about the difference between chapter 12 and chapter 13. 
Why couldn't the book of Nehemiah just ended with chapter 12? Right? That, that great scene of them worshiping and praising God. That's a, that's a happily ever after, if I know one. Why did it have to end with chapter 13? Why, why could we not end on the glory and the majesty and the greatness and the splendor of God that's seen in chapter 12? Why do we have to go on to chapter 13? But can I argue with you that I fully believe that the majesty and the glory, the splendor, the greatness of God is seen just as much in chapter 13 as it was last week in chapter 12. And here's why. Because I know that I sin. And I know that I am not perfect. And I know without a doubt that God is a holy and just God who cannot abide by my sin. And I'm thankful to be able to look at a chapter such as chapter 13 and realize, you know what? God may discipline me sometimes. And God may call me on the carpet for my sin. But I also see that my God is a merciful, gracious God. And I see without a doubt that my God loves me and I see his love for me in the way that he disciplines me. And yeah, it hurts. And yeah, I'd rather not go through it. Oh, but I'd much rather have the joy of being able to know that my God has forgiven me. You know, we may not get a happily ever after in this world because we're, we're in a sin-cursed world with a lot of heartache, but that's okay because I know that for those who have accepted Jesus as their Savior, who are in a relationship with God, who have confessed Jesus as their Lord, repented of their sins, I know without a doubt that I've got a happily ever after later that I was made for. Now, I may not have been made for this one, and I may not see it in this world, but I will see it later. Nehemiah is a story of ups and downs, of times where you wonder, is he going to make it? Are they going to make it? It's a story of God coming through over and over and over and over again. And it's a story that we can look to and say, you know what? My God's got a plan. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And my God is greater than any other God out there, and I know I can trust him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we know without a doubt that, um, that this story of Nehemiah is in your word for a purpose. You left it for us. We're thankful for that. Father, we thank you for the mercy and the grace that we see in this chapter, in this book. Father, we thank you for the ways that we um, have grown closer to you in this study. And Father, we thank you for all the ways that we continue to look for what you would have for us. Father, it probably won't be rebuilding a wall. But Father, there are things that you call us to do that take a step of faith. So may we take that step of faith. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.